Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning Backheel.com style. It's like Dragon style, but not as flashy. We're on the air to talk soccer for the next hour and change. A big guest for you today, Jonathan Johnson, our French football expert. And man, I'm looking at the headlines out of France today, and there's a lot of stuff to go over, including an American connection as Alejandro Bedoya continues his scoring run at Nantes and uh, some other interesting uh, developments uh, in the world of uh, French football. So plenty to talk to Jonathan Johnson about. He is uh, an excellent resource on said subject, uh, may even range into the China question with Jonathan since we did have uh, one of, um, one of the, the players poached by the Chinese, Ezekiel Avetsi, uh, leaving France to go to the Far East. So we'll talk, talk to Jonathan about, it. I, I continue to be fascinated by the China story. I mean, how could you not at least be, have your interest peaked by the fact that they are dumping cash all over the place to sign up these foreign players? Now, and, and this is not on my agenda this morning and maybe we'll get into it later. I'm still curious as to how many play, how many spots are left open uh, because there is a limit on the number of foreign players that can be signed by each of these Chinese teams. And that may slow things down as their uh, their transfer window closes, I think, in about two weeks or so. All right, so Jonathan Johnson coming up. Your phone calls after that, as you know. We'll take your phone calls on whatever topic, including possibly MLS kits because Columbus, what's happening, dude? That's so weird. Columbus, what are you doing? We'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's do the news first. Liverpool. Liverpool Football Club has responded to the fan walkout over ticket prices by freezing their ticket prices for the next two seasons. Owner Fenway Sports Group announced a number of changes to their initial ticket plans for 2016-17. Here's your, here's a couple of big moments or big uh, items from the open letter signed by John Henry and Tom Werner. Of course, these are the principles of the Fenway Sports Group. Removal of game categorization, categorization, spelled in the English manner, no Z. Regardless of the opposition, fans will pay the same price for match day tickets. I imagine there was originally a, a thought about charging more for, you know, when Manchester United comes to town or when Chelsea comes to town, and they backed off of that. Pricing of tickets will be readjusted to result in a zero revenue growth from general admission ticketing on a like-for-like basis, whatever that means. Uh, individual ticket prices may move marginally from this season. We are freezing their 2016-17 general admission ticket revenue at the 2015-16 level, exclusive of newly added seats in the main stand. So, yeah, okay. Uh, the price of the highest season ticket will be frozen at the 2015-16 level. The, high, the price of the highest GA ticket will be frozen at the 2015-16 level. So they are not going to 77 pounds, which is what caused the walkout in the 77th minute of that match this past weekend. Uh, Nine-pound uh, nine general admission seats will be offered for each and every Premier League match and allocation of more than 10,000 tickets across the season. So they responded pretty aggressively to the walkout. Now, this is big news for Liverpool fans. They're on Mercy's side. It's certainly, um, you know, it's it's notable in the in the Liverpool community. But what's going to be interesting is whether or not this prompts action on the part of other ownership groups across the Premier League because guess what? The ticket price bubble is going to start bursting here very soon, especially as the Premier League has to deal with the PR hit that is you're making billions of dollars on television. Why are you charging us more for tickets? The U.S. Women's National Team started their CONCACAF Olympic qualifying campaign last night with a 5 nothing shellacking of Costa Rica. Alex Morgan scored inside of 12 seconds 
to uh, start the United States off uh, on a strong foot. Believed to be the fastest goal in U.S. women's national team history. Also the fastest goal in Olympic qualifying history. Carly Lloyd, Crystal Dunn, Alex Morgan again, and Kristen Press all added goals. I highly, highly, highly recommend you go and find the video of Kristen Press and that absolutely insane first touch that set up her goal. Bayer Leverkusen will be without Javier Chicharito Hernandez on the weekend after the Mexican striker tore a muscle in his buttocks, his ass, his his rear end, his derriere, his the backside in a 3-1 loss to Werder Brevin in the German Cup on Tuesday. A scan is played, uh, planned for today to determine the length of his recovery since joining Leverkusen in August. Hernandez has scored 22 goals in 26 appearances across all competitions. He has been on fire for Leverkusen, a major part of that team, and uh, trouble for them if they lose him for any length of time. And again, to to tear a muscle in your butt. Ouch, that's got to hurt. An exclusively Liga MX-based Mexico side beat Senegal 2-0 in Miami last night. El Tri got uh, late second-half goals from Jesus Duenas. And Rodolfo Pizarro in Mexico's first match of 2016. Goals covered up for a disjointed performance as Senegal made Mexico uncomfortable for large portions of the match. Again, it's a friendly, it's questionable value. It drew over just 50, it drew just over 15,000 people to a Marlins Stadium Park venue, baseball stadium thing place where, you know, they, the, the crowd, as, as noted by our friend Charlie Bohm, seemed more interested in yelling that uh, that uh, homophobic slur uh, on goal kicks than actually being excited for the match. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain head coach uh, Laurent Blanc, sorry, manager Laurent Blanc, has signed a two-year extension with the club. Uh, Blanc uh, took the team to back-to-back league on the titles and is set to win a third in a row as they have an insanely massive lead over second-place Monaco in league on this season. PSG will face Chelsea in the round of 16 in the Champions League starting next week. Obviously, Chelsea going through a difficult season, but they could be dangerous uh, in this uh, in this Champions League if they are focused on the task at hand. Blanc replaced Carlo Ancelotti in the summer of 2013, is now, t- uh, now tied to the club until 2018. He called this, obviously, a statement of faith on the part of the ownership group, which is QSI, Qatari Sports Investments, uh, a group that may be linked to the Miami team and MLS. Maybe that's what we talked about yesterday. We'll bring that back around. We'll talk to Jonathan Johnson about Lego, maybe about uh, Laurent Blanc and his new contract, about PSG, about their chances in the Champions League, uh, about Alejandro Bedoya, about maybe about Bob Bradley, certainly about China and Ezekiel of Levetsi, and so much more. Soccer Warning on Backhill.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome to Soccer Morning. We are back on Soccer Morning. It's Thursday. We are going to talk about France and topics involving French football with our friend Jonathan Johnson, who joins us now on the phone. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Legossip. It's uh, J-O-N. Hi, John. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Jason. Yourself? Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing relatively well uh, today. It is, it is still winter. It is still very cold 
uh, where I am, but uh, I imagine that it'll it'll start thawing out and we'll start to to get a thaw in France as well. Uh, the the spring won't bring us any changes in terms of the league, and I'm going to start with with the biggest club in the land, uh, Paris Saint Germain. They've uh, signed Laurent Blanc to a new uh, two year contract extension. Just a validation of, of the work he's done, but but I, I find this interesting, if only because so much focus is on the Champions League, and here they are giving him a contract before that job is done. Yeah, absolutely, but I don't think that anybody can deny that Lombard deserves this uh, this contract extension. You look at the way that he, uh, you know, has has really guided this team for the last couple of years since taking over in 2013. Uh, you know, I don't think that anybody can fault him for what PSG have achieved domestically. Yes, I know there's more focus on uh, what PSG do in Europe, certainly from the, the club owner's point of view. But still, you know, to have PSG racking up trophies, you know, at record-breaking speed as he has them, uh, you know, I think that he deserves immense credit for that. Uh, yeah, plenty is being made of the timing, you know, coming before the Champions League game against Chelsea. Uh, but I think, you know, PSG have, 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 you know, calculated this move, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they've announced the, the, the deal at the perfect moment, really, uh, just ahead of the Chelsea game, because I think going into the Chelsea match, uh, there might have been a bit of speculation, uh, you know, about Blanc's future, uh, you know, that it was hinging on what happens in these, uh, these two games against, uh, Goose Hiddings men. Uh, whether he, you know, will get the chop if, uh, if PSG do crash out uh, against Chelsea, and I think that this contract extension gives uh, Blanc and the players that peace of mind mm-hmm. that they need, uh, you know, in order to be at the right place mentally uh, going into the Chelsea game, so that they can, you know, get the best possible result and, uh, and, and push on, and then. Uh, you know, I'm sure from the club owner's point of view, hopefully uh, get past the quarterfinals as well, depending on who they get, uh, and, and make it into the semifinals for the first time since the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I do think that people should bear in mind that you know this is only a two-year contract extension as well for Blanc. Uh, you know, yes, uh, you know he's being paid very handsomely uh, by the Qataris at PSG, but I don't think that anybody should uh, be naive enough to think that PSG wouldn't be afraid to. Uh, you know, um, make a loss on, uh, on on that investment and pull the trigger if they're not satisfied mm. uh, with PSG's Champions League performance this season if things don't go well against Chelsea. So, certainly, they they have the money to buy out the contract if they so choose. If if they decide to go in a different direction, uh, and you know, you can't argue, uh, regardless of what's happening in the in, in Europe, you can't argue with a 24 point lead in the in the league with a plus 51 goal differential, and that's about the the talent he has available. Uh, I'm I'm interested, Jonathan. It's sort of the the dynamic. Of, of Blanc's hiring, replacing Ancelotti, and then, you know, um, whether or not PSG and, and QSI were in, interested in all, at all in trying to get involved in the, the high-stakes game of, uh, of the managerial merry-go-round with, with Klopp and certainly with Guardiola. I mean, they may not have, a, have had as much of a chance as the English clubs who were attractive to those two managers, but they are now on that level. They are in that echelon to, to, make, uh, to make some noise about wanting to go after somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think what PSG wanted, you know, when they uh, came up with the idea for this project before they even uh, bought their stake in the club, uh, you know, I think they really saw themselves as having, you know, the best French coach out there at the moment leading the side. Uh, And at first, uh, for PSG, you know, that coach that they really wanted is Arsene Wenger. You know, he's a a coach who has very good links uh, with the Qataris um, who own PSG. Uh, not not because of you know um, informal chat uh, off the pitch about him potentially taking over one day, but because of his media commitments. Uh, you know, and I, I think PSG dreamed for a long time 
uh, of luring Wenger away from Arsenal and, and him taking over at Parc des Princes. Uh, but, you know, they brought in Laurent Blanc after Carlo Ancelotti. Much was made of that. People didn't think that, you know, he was really, um, you, you know, his character was strong enough uh, to be able to impose himself on this, uh, you know, stellar squad that the PSG have assembled. You know, but he's proved all his doubters wrong. Uh, and if he can lead PSG uh, to the semi-finals this season, you know, I, I, I think he will be, you know, as good as untouchable in the French capital, really, because, uh, you know, there are no better French coaches out there at the moment. And, you know, I would even debate whether, uh, you know, Arsene Wenger could really be classed as, um, you know, a better coach for sure. PSG now. Uh, you know, and the, and, and the project that uh, you know the, the, the PSG are bringing to fruition at the moment. You know, I think Laurent Blanc is the right man in the right place at the right time right now. Uh, so Laurent Blanc with a two-year extension at, at PSG again, well deserved. Now, again, it, so much of of this project um, after yeah. two league titles and and one that's coming this season, of course, um, is about making hay in Europe. And uh, and now we have the, the David Trezeguet out there. Uh, as his autobiography comes out, which of, of course is uh, an opportunity to, to make some, uh, have some uh, publicity uh, for his book, saying that, that, that PSG suffers from the lack of competition in France. I mean, I, I don't know that this is, um, you know, this isn't rocket science, Jonathan. We can imagine that if, if PSG is not being pushed in the league, it's going to have some ramifications in Europe. Ultimately, though, is it, is it a problem that they can't overcome? Yeah, I think it is a problem that they can overcome. I think what people have to bear in mind this season is I think it's an exceptional campaign, uh, you know, not necessarily in a good way because you look at Ligue 1 at the moment, and yes, you know, there's a huge chasm between PSG and the rest of the league this season at the top of the table, 24 points, and you know, that's a huge gap. Uh, but it's not entirely PSG's fault and the money that they have that they've been allowed to, to, to pull away, you know, that clearly. There's no way that, uh, you know, um, a, a, a team like Lyon and, you know, even Marseille should be dwelling, you know, down in the lower reaches of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of the top half of the table as they are at the moment. You know, Lyon in sixth, uh, you know, miles behind PSG, Marseille even further behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, Marseille have had, uh, you know, problems for a number of years now, so maybe people shouldn't be expecting them to be challenging for the title, but it's still one of the best squads in France and they're massively underachieving. Uh, you know, Lyon very disappointing considering how good they were uh, last season. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, even though I think Monaco have actually done a good job this season and the fact that they've, you know, they're still in second place in the table, six points clear uh, of, of third place Nice, um, you know, considering all the changes that were made over the summer, you know, their achievements are almost made, you know, almost put to shame really by the fact that they're, you know, so far behind PSG still. Uh, but, you know, in an ideal world, uh, and I definitely think that these teams are capable of uh, of staying closer to PSG, you know, you would have a, a chasing pack of Monaco, Lyon uh, and Marseille and they wouldn't be this far uh, behind PSG. But unfortunately, the way things have worked out this season, uh, you know, and the way that PSG have really applied themselves to their task. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've been able to, to, to pull away to, to such a massive extent that the league's pretty much already wrapped up. Uh, let's uh, let's look ahead briefly here to the to the um, the tie against Chelsea in the Champions League round of sixteen. You, you know, on 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 the surface, um, this is a kind draw, if only because Chelsea has struggled so mightily, had to fire Jose Mourinho, uh, seems to be in a transitional phase. But at the same time, I sort of view Chelsea as a wounded animal in Europe, and they are capable of, of playing up to, to, to PSG's level. I, I'm PSG still significant favors Jonathan but what does what do the French have to do the French side have to do to avoid the trap that is you know a, a wounded cornered Chelsea scrapping at them uh, well I think what PSG really need to avoid is conceding a goal at home you know that is absolutely imperative 
this time around. You know, they can't afford to let Chelsea score at Parc des Princes. Uh, they need to ideally win by more than one goal. You know, a, a sort of two-goal, three-goal cushion uh, without Chelsea scoring would be, uh, you know, the most ideal scenario for PSG. Uh, and I think winning one nil at home as well is, is is not that bad either. But I just think that PSG absolutely have to avoid conceding an away goal. Defense has been extremely impressive this season. You know, Thiago Silva is arguably in the best form of his career at the moment. You know, absolutely monstrous in the in the PSG defence. I think Chelsea are going to find it really difficult coming up against him in form at the moment. Serge Aurier, you know, another beast at right back. He's been absolutely fantastic this season. Maxwell, Evergreen, you know, he might be 34 years old, but he doesn't look it. And, you know, I think that uh, uh, that, that Chelsea are, you know, are going to struggle to, to, to break this PSG defence down, but that doesn't, you know, mean to say that they're not going to be able to score a goal. And if they can score a goal in Paris, then that would change the complexion of uh, this tie over two legs uh, massively. So that's what PSG really have to avoid. Uh, you know, and you also have to bear in mind, you know, this is pretty much uh, one of the only things that Chelsea really have left to play for this mm-hmm, season. Certainly right. the most prestigious uh, thing that you know they, that they have going for them, and they will really, uh, you know, want to to to, to make a statement to show that their season's uh, not over. Um, you know, by being able to win this and, mm. and make their way into the quarterfinals, but you know, PSG also really want this. Uh, you know, and I think it has the makings of a great game. Mm. Uh, there is. I'm, I'm I'm looking here as I try to catch up and make sure I'm on top of the latest news. I see a headline that says uh, Ezekiel Lavetsi's transfer to China, which we've all heard about. And I'm going to ask you about China here in a second, Jonathan. May have, may be delayed until after uh, after their match with with Chelsea. Is that is that the latest that you've heard? Yeah, it sounds like um, Lavetsi will be joining Hit by China Fortune. Uh, very soon, but it sounds like the deal will be finalised, and you know he will be unveiled uh, as a head eye player after the, the the game against Chelsea. So after next Tuesday, okay. uh, and I think PSG have done that solely because they don't want to be you know caught out and undermanned, uh, you, you know in case they suffer a late injury or something. Because PSG have played a lot of games since the start of the year. You know they they had a really packed January schedule, February's not being kind to the media. I mean, okay, they're paying the price for success uh, a little bit considering, you know, how they've advanced uh, on all fronts so far. You know, they're still doing well in both domestic cups, already in one cup final in the Coupe de la Ligue, uh, you know, and in, in the quarterfinals of the, the French Cup now as well after beating uh, after beating Lyon last night. But, uh, you know, PSG, they have, you know, the, the lesson from last year uh, you know, they really want to show that they've learned from the, the game against Colm, which came just before Chelsea. Uh, you know, I don't know if everybody listening remembers, but it was a game PSG were winning 2-0. Uh, they threw away the, the, the lead quite late on, ended up drawing 2-2 at home. This is when they were struggling to, uh, you know, to take over at the top of the table and pull away. Lyon were, you know, really, really impressive that season. But PSG picked up a number of injuries uh, that day. You know, they've managed to um, stay on top of the players' conditions much better uh, going into uh, in, in, into this game, but I think you know what we're seeing with them with uh, with the Lavezzi deal is uh, is PSG just trying to be careful and making sure that they don't get caught out by the uh, the same thing that happened last season. Now I know I imagine when um, uh, you know uh, Haiba, how are we how are we pronouncing that? I'm not sure if you you have a better handle on it than I do. But these Chinese teams popping up, Jonathan, throwing me for a loop on pronunciation. I, and I want to be just correct as I can. Regardless, uh, w- when these Chinese clubs come in for a a player like like Levetsi, who who is now thirty years old and and obviously is is not going to get better at, at this point in his career. 
and and it's PSG on the other end. I mean, I understand if it's if it's a club that maybe is in a little bit of a different financial position, but when it's it's PSG, what's the dynamic here, and and really what is being made of of the Chinese money uh, when it comes to French football? I mean, you know, with, with Lorette, I think PSG were quite happy to let him go. You've got to bear in mind this is a player who's underachieved massively, mm, really, yeah. since he joined from Napoli. Yeah, there have been a few um, bright moments uh, throughout Lorette's time with PSG, uh, but I think there's been more disappointment than success. Uh, and, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, he's been, uh, you know, one of PSG's real transfer flops of the Qatari era. Uh, you know, he just, at the end of the day, wasn't good enough to justify the money that he was being paid, and PSG had a good offer put in front of them. Uh, you know, they can get quite a tidy transfer fee, which allows them to recoup at least some of the money that they spent on him. Yeah, money's not hugely important to the Qataris, especially now financial fair play has been eased a little bit, but still, you know, it's, it's good for them to be able to, you know, actually make some money when they sell a player once in a while, rather than just wait for their contract to run down. But with uh, with, with Lovetti, more pointedly, he was what he was, like, despite the arrival of uh, you know the likes of Anhel Di Maria, Edinson Cavani, uh, you know those sorts of players since um, since Lovetti arrived in Paris, uh, Lovetti is still one of PSG's best paid players and will be until he joins uh, Hey by China Fortune. Uh, you know, so I think PSG have been looking to offload him for a while, but one of the problems uh, you know that has stopped them from selling him in the past to other European teams is the fact that his his wages at PSG were just so exorbitant. Uh, you know, so I think that they welcomed the opportunity to do this. Uh, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me to see, uh, you know, Chinese sides picking up other, uh, you know, players, um, you know, who are in a similar position to Lovetsi. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, bad players because Lovetsi is not a uh, not, not a bad player, but you know, you wouldn't put him in that top bracket, that top echelon uh, of, of European ta- European-based talent either. Uh, you know, and I, I think, to be perfectly honest, um, you know, PSG are getting money for all group here. Yeah, what I don't, I, I can't find in right here what the what the fee is, and, and obviously, you know, China is paying a premium to bring some of this talent over. I mean, uh, well, well, Levetsi is one type of player that you identified underachieving at PSG, uh, certainly um, of a certain level, but maybe not uh, the upper echelon anymore. They've gone in and they've gotten uh, so, another club, I believe, got uh, you know Alex Teixeira out from underneath uh, Liverpool. So there's there's clearly you know, some sort of impetus to, to spend money on, on even a better caliber of player. And, and yet the, the money that we're seeing, again, I wonder how, how that Im- is impacting the market um, in, in Europe in general, but certainly how French clubs um, will view this as, is it, is it cha-ching, let's cash in, let's sell players to China? They have limits over there, of course. Or is it more of this is going to change prices on everybody and, and some teams will suffer because of that? I don't think it's going to change prices on everybody because at the end of the day, you know, I don't think China, uh, the Chinese teams are spending, um, well, certainly from a French point of view, I don't think, you know, the Chinese teams are spending money on the sort of players that uh, the young clubs will be targeting. Okay. Okay, perhaps, uh, you know, they might be able to challenge somebody like PSG financially for the signature of one player. I don't know, for example, if PSG had been interested in uh, Alex Teixeira, which, you know, had been mooted in the past. Uh, you know, okay, it is feasible that PSG might have lost out if they got into a bidding war, um, you know, with, uh, with with the Chinese side that signed the Brazilian. But overall, I don't think that the French teams are going to have to worry that much, um, you know, about going into competition against some of these Chinese clubs. So I do think that they will hope, uh, you know, that when their players are impressive, uh, you know, and are performing well in Liga, that, you know, some Chinese sides might sit up, take notice, uh, and be prepared to to spend uh, you know a lot of money 
uh, to to acquire this player because I think most league and clubs accept that you know at some point uh, along the way they are going to have to sell their their best talents and I think that if they can sell them to these uh, Chinese clubs willing to pay uh, you know such huge fees. Uh, then I think that it will benefit them because they'll be able to bring more quality and you know perhaps be more competitive domestically. All right, let's let's move on to one of the the odder rumors out there that uh, apparently been shot down by the player himself, and I'm a little disappointed. Although uh, I guess it's probably best for the relationship between Marseille and Lucas Silva, but uh, Lucas Silva, uh, there was a report that he had been left on the side of the road um, after maybe a disagreement over whether or not he was going to go. Uh, on loan from the club. What's the situation there, Jonathan? What's the latest in terms of, of, of whether this played out the way it was initially reported? Yeah, well, I mean, there was a report that surfaced in France saying that he'd been told to leave the bus um, before they went to, 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 to play Marseille a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and that was the day after the European transfer window had closed. Um, you know, but the, the Brazilian transfer window, I think, was still open and, and Marseille were trying to, to pressure him, uh, allegedly trying to pressure him to, to join a, a Brazilian side of it so that they didn't have to be lumbered with him anymore. Uh, you know, the players come out, issued a statement saying that it's, uh, that, that it's not true, uh, confirmed that there is interest from Brazilian sides, but said that he plans to stay with Marseille until the end of the season. Uh, as that's part of Real Madrid's plan and his as well, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's possible that Marseille are very disappointed with uh, with, with Lucas Silva. He hasn't uh, lived up to expectations so far. You know, he's been very, very disappointing, truth be told. Um, you know, and I think that Real Madrid will be concerned at the moment, looking at the lack of progress that he's made since he signed. Um, you know, that they might have uh, have bought a dud here. But at the end of the day, you know, the player, you know, was not happy to make a move uh, elsewhere. So, you know, I think that Marseille, uh, you know, just have to bite the bullet on this, uh, you know, and hope that he comes good in the remaining months uh, left this season. But we've only seen very small glimpses of uh, of, of Lucas' talents, uh, sorry, uh, Lucas Silva's, uh, you know, true talent. Uh, you know, I, I think I remember one very good um, ball over the top to help set up a goal against Lille a couple of months ago. But other than that, I'm really struggling. Uh, to think of real highlights from uh, from Lucas Silva's time in uh, in Ligue with Marseille at the moment. So the player definitely has, uh, you know, a lot of room for improvement. You know, sometimes hasn't even made the squad uh, recently. Uh, but you know, it doesn't look like Marseille have any choice really, uh, but to to persevere with the player. Uh, let's uh, let's turn to a, it'll be a little selfish here and, and and turn to a club with an American connection. Now is in seventh place. Um, they obviously have Alejandro Bedoya uh, in the the Coupe de Ligue. Uh, uh, Coupe de France, I believe, uh, they, they got a win this weekend, or this, uh, this week with Bedoya scoring. Um, I, I've got, I've got a, a, a person on Twitter who wants to know why this club is difficult to deal with, uh, when it comes to the Philadelphia Union, uh, a club that, that Bedoya himself has been linked to, and, uh, they had, the Union had Aristeguera on loan, and now he's been, he's gone back to Nantes. Uh, what's the situation with, with that club right now, and they're, they're, Again, I don't know that it's an issue of, of, of difficulty, but certainly Philadelphia Union fans are a little disappointed to see uh, Aristegueta go back home. Yeah, Nantes are a club who have been plagued by, uh, you know, sort of uh, administrative problems now for quite a while. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was an issue when they just got promoted back to Ligue 1. I think it was their first game back, which they won against Bastia. They somehow managed to field an ineligible player, which ended in a, a points deduction. Uh, you know, in a very messy situation, and it was at that moment that Filip Djordjevic just said, "You know, this is this this, this is a joke. You know, a, a top-flight football club can't be you know behaving like this. 
Uh, and I think that really gave us an insight into, you know, the real sort of politics at, uh, at, at Nantes. And it's not a club that's very well organized. Uh, you know, the leadership is, um, is, is pretty unclear. So it doesn't surprise me to hear people, uh, you know, complaining, saying that, you know, Nantes seem like they're very difficult to deal with. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the Philadelphia Union uh, being, uh, you know, disappointed that Aristigeta mm. has, uh, has has gone back to Nantes and not really receiving much of, uh, of of an explanation for that. But you know, I don't think that this is something new. This is something that's been going on for quite a while, uh, and you know, it's just amazing really that they're able to, you know, to to, to keep players like uh, like like Bidoua happy because you know he is you know one of their uh, better players now, even though he's you know he's he's been enduring a bit of a a bit of a mixed season, but if you look at somebody like Djordjevic who who said, you know, mm. basically this is not serious enough for me, I want to go somewhere else, uh, try Pastors New and then eventually went to uh, to Lazio, uh, you know, you wonder just how long it's going to be before Bedoya finally uh, throws in the towel and says, you know, right, I'm, you know, I want to go back home or I want to move elsewhere in uh, in Europe. Mm. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's out there on, on on social media fairly uh, fairly regularly, but you know, obviously not addressing necessarily a, a departure from Nantes or anything like that. It, it, I imagine that that uh, those administrative issues have to be wearing on him, uh, and he seems as though he's frustrated with MLS as well. So it's uh, it's not easy being a player, especially when you're at a club that uh, that. that can't seem to get itself together. And at the same time, though, um, I mean, I imagine that this is a, this is so far overachieving for the club at this point, Jonathan. I definitely think you know they're do, they're doing you know very well at the moment, perhaps better than many people expected. Didn't have the uh, have the best start to the season, so they've really recovered uh, since then. You know, Michel Desacari and the coach has, uh, has has done well to turn the ship around. Because there was one point where they lost to PSG, um, I think they dropped down to you know about 14th in the table, something like that, and the fans were protesting uh, against the president, uh, you know, tried attacking his car uh, and actually mistook uh, the PSG president, Nasser Al-Khalifi's car, uh, for Valdemar Kitas, uh, that's, the, that's the name of the non-president. Uh, you know, so it's, they've come a long way uh, since then, but, you know, again, for, for, for non the problem has always been, uh, you know, that they're, there's perhaps not enough depth in the squad, and also they don't have a really like truly prolific goal scorer in the team. Uh, you know, I think their their top scoring attacker is is Yassin Bamu, who's got mm. uh, four goals. Uh, you know, and for for a team that's in the in the top half of Ligue 1, you know, in seventh, it's uh, you know it, it's perhaps not enough to make uh, this sort of position in the table sustainable. But you know, at the moment they they've done very well. This is a club we're talking about who. Uh, have a fantastic youth academy. You know they bring through a lot of very talented young players uh, and, and sell them on. Uh, and they play a good style of football. Fantastic fans, lovely stadium. Um, you know, so there is potential there to you know to, to have a really uh, vibrant club. But unfortunately, some of those uh, you know problems with the makeup of the, the the club internally that we that we touched on earlier you know holds them back a little bit. But you know if they can keep up their current form, uh, you know it'd be fantastic to see them. Uh, you know, push on. You know, perhaps get close to the European qualification positions mm-hmm. and see them go all the way to, uh, you know, a French Cup final as well. Because not, um, you know, for, for for those people who aren't really truly familiar with Ligue 1, is you know historically one of one of France's uh, bigger sides. Uh, not in, is in seventh in Ligue 1. Meanwhile, Lava is in uh, seventh in Ligue 2, and that's obviously the the, the club coached. Uh, by American Bob Bradley. Just, just uh, Jonathan, if you have any, uh, you know, insight on how things are going 
for Bob, clearly being five points off the uh, promotion place is not exactly where he wants to be at, at this point. It, it it's, uh, it's an adjustment period. He's obviously learning the language, but probably can't speak the language well enough to convey um, his, his instructions to the players directly. How, how has this gone? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he's had a couple of setbacks in recent weeks. You know, I think the, the Lauf have, you know, come up against a couple of tough teams, teams that are up there in, you know, similar positions to themselves. And you've got the likes of Dijon, who they lost to last week, they lost 2-0 uh, at home, uh, and they lost 2-1 away at, uh, away at Red Star as well. And, you know, and I think it was, um, you know, it's a real um, hiccup for them losing to Clermont uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. They lost 2-1 away, uh, managed to recover by beating Lens. Uh, but they've, you know, they're they're struggling for form a bit at the moment. Lost three of their last four, um, you know, and and like you said, uh, Bob Bradley's still getting to grips with his squad. Uh, you know, I think that he's able to to, to convey his ideas um, quite clearly. You know, and I think that the players, um, you know, a- appreciate his his very uh, meticulous tactical approach. Uh, there was. Um, I read an excellent article on him recently, and you know, I think some fans of the club were saying that they've never had such a, mm-hmm. a studious coach in charge of the side that they still have reservations, you know, questions over whether he really has the experience to be able to guide them up to league on this season, considering that it takes so long to adapt. Uh, to French football, especially in Ligue 2, because there's a big difference between Ligue 2 and Ligue 1. Uh, you know, this is something that Claudio Ranieri, who's having fantastic success now with Leicester, uh, said when he first took over at, uh, at Monaco as well. He said that the adaptation period, you know, was, uh, w- w- was quite challenging. So it's not surprising really to see that, you know, Bob Bradley is, um, struggling, uh, a-, a little bit, but I don't really think that that's got anything to do with his ability. Uh, you know, I don't think that that suggests that, you know, this is, uh, this is not really a move. That works out. Um, you know, I think that it's just simply that he's getting to grips, uh, you know, with the uh, with the nuances of, um, of of French second tier football, uh, and I think that it's probably something that he's going to have to, uh, you know, really um, get a hold of for the remainder of the campaign. You know, and perhaps go again next year, looking to get promotion, or perhaps even win the league. I'm, I'm not saying that promotion this season is an impossibility, not at all. Uh, you know, because as we've seen in the um, since he's taken over, uh, and as we see in Liga regularly as well, a couple of results, um, positive or negative, can change a lot of things for you. You know, you can push yourself right up there into contention for promotion, but you can also drop down and you know find yourself in the bottom of the bottom half of the table quite easily. Uh, you know, so I think that you know the next month or so is going to be very important. Uh, for love this weekend actually is a big big game for them uh, against Mess, uh, and I think you know if they're able to win that, then there definitely is a, a chance of them getting into uh, into the top three. Mess are third at the moment, right. uh, and they're five points ahead of Love. So you know I think Bob Bradley really needs to you know to, to lead his side to a victory here. Uh, if they're to you know to really make a make make a fist out of their challenge to to finish in the top three, yeah, a bit of a gap between second and third. Uh, what Matt says, you said in third place, so that that's the that's the club that 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 Bob and Le Havre would have to chase down, uh, most likely to get promoted this year. Uh, very very briefly, it should should they stay in Ligue 2, uh, as as is a very good possibility? Would there be resources for for Bob to to make some signings in the summer to reinforce the squad for next year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that would have been one of the conditions that was agreed when he first took over. Because even, you know, even when he arrived, you know, they were on a fantastic run of form under the caretaker coach. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that um, promotion looked like it was nailed on. 
So I think that uh, you know when 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 Bob was discussing with the with the club hierarchy, um, you know potential eventualities in the season, you know I think they probably will have covered um, you know what would happen if Love don't get promoted this season, and I'm sure that he would have asked to be you know to be back in the summer so that he can make the signings that he feels the the, the squad needs in order to get promotion uh, the following season, you know if it was necessary. So I'm sure that he will get the backing. Uh, you know that he requires if uh, Love are unable to to make it up to league down at the first time of asking, but there's still a long way to go in the season. And like I said, uh, you know, a couple of results, positive or negative, can change a lot of things in uh, in league and league down. So you know we'll we'll, uh, we'll see again in a couple of weeks and uh, and see where Bob is at then. There you go, Jonathan Johnson joining us from France, talking all things French football. Uh, fantastic as always. Again. Uh, writes in many places, and you can follow him for his writings at J-O-N underscore Le Gossip, G-O-S-S-I-P. Jonathan, thank you so much for the time. Uh, it's brilliant. Thanks a lot. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. me on, Jason, and I'll uh, speak to you soon. Absolutely. There goes Jonathan Johnson. Good stuff. I love talking to him uh, about the French game. We'll step aside. We'll come back. We'll open the phone lines and talk to you, maybe about MLS kits, maybe about futsal again, whatever's on your mind. Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. To Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning. It is Thursday, and I'm excited. That, that music gets me going a little bit. 646 832 3909 is the phone number. If you have uh, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, a plan for the future of American soccer, if you want to decide for all of us how we should proceed, I would like to hear from you. I am willing to listen to your proposal. Uh, I'd like you to get it printed up at Kinko's with a nice cover, maybe design a logo for it before you submit it in hard copy. But if you want to lay it out here in audio form for the rest of us, we can, we can do that. We can, we can do that today. 646-832-3909. We're good at that. American soccer fans are really good at coming up with a plan to fix everything, except we don't really have the power on we really can't enact our changes ourselves and in really it's not that simple it's a lot more complicated aaron in jersey or any, or any, most hello aaron hey jason hey How you, doing? <laughs> you were busy talking to somebody else and here you are on the air what's going to on trevor actually i was talking to trevor oh, oh. <laughs> well he he put up he put up your topic so i figured that was already to go and i guess you guys weren't completely done talking but i i, I interrupted yeah. your conversation yeah. with him now you're on the air you can <laughs> talk to me instead what's going on you should have a parallel program which is trevor's program at the same time that would be <laughs> oh my god you don't even understand how great that would be uh <laughs> that would be so awesome all right, and apparently I jumped the gun here. I got too excited to talk to you, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not following the rules, and now I'm being I'm being admonished behind the scenes. So uh, so yeah, now I feel terrible. Go ahead, Eric. Um, so a couple quick things. Uh, I read the article uh, on on in, in the Atlantic on uh, Lemonov, which is uh, you know a, a great article actually. I mean to kind of you know pull back the kimono a little bit, um, you know, which is great, uh, but you also get to see just you know, the natural resistance that's out there and having coached and refed and, 
parented in this, you know, soccer sphere that we call American soccer, you know, you, you just uh, realize what, what a, you know, what a challenge that is to kind of change some of the, you know, the basic traits and yep. like approaches yeah. that people have for even the structure. I, you know, I think that the attitude that they come into the game, you know, reading that piece, what, what struck me and, you know, I'm like, I'm going back to my, um, you know, my time as a youth soccer player and what my coaches were like. And I think, and, and, and all coaches across all kinds of sports that I played. And I, and I think that we have, um, we have a mentality in this country that coaching is authoritarian, that coaching is a lot of yelling and screaming and cajoling rather than, uh, rather than encouraging, right? I mean, my coaches all yelled at me. I mean, sometimes it worked, sometimes exactly. it didn't. I, I think it, it obviously trickles down from a, maybe from an American football kind of, uh, ethos to everything else, but, you know, baseball managers yell and, and basketball coaches flip out and throw chairs. And, and this is just what we do as American coaches. And, and maybe, I, I mean, I hate to say it's a roadblock, but it's certainly something we have to figure out. Well, and, 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 you know, it's, it's clear anyone that's ever played any soccer or football that it's a sport that is not joystickable. You no, know, as a, no. as someone who raft and coached for years, you know, uh, we used to talk about the, other coaches who joystick their players basically around and, you know, and, and, and soccer is not a game that's like that. And I think most Americans struggle with that concept of in some ways freedom and, you know, and, 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 and then everything that that really means, it isn't just freedom on game day. It's freedom. The rest of the, you know, the other six days a week, you know, that a kid is, you know, participating versus one more, like you said, authoritarian kind of approach that, you know, in a lot of ways strips all the fun and beauty out of them with anything, but especially soccer. Well, again, I think again, soccer what, is such what, an awful game. What is the fundamental, what is the fundamental, uh, uh, what is the fundamental element at work in every sport that we play from the very beginning, except for soccer? It's, it's, it's you go out and you play to win and, and sort of, that's in the, right. in those other sports, we let the the process happen naturally, where players get better, either on their own or 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 they, they happen to be on the right team, or they're just naturally talented, and then one day they become an NFL player or an NBA player or a Major League Baseball player. And because again, because those sports have the luxury of being the best in the world and and just sort of being the magnet of the best talent, they don't have to work real hard to worry about the U eight kids or the or the kids that are seven and, and eight years old and the fundamental. That the, the fundamentals they learn because there'll be another kid who did get the fundamentals sort of by happenstance. Soccer is very different in that we actively have to choose not to focus on winning from the very beginning. And, you know, I, exactly. I, I don't know if we are culturally uh, um, adapted to that idea yet. And I'm not sure that we will be for a very long time. And, 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 and you know, it's very interesting is that because uh, one of the other topics I want to bring up was the Chinese Super League. Cause I kind of, just randomly kind of read up on them last year, just because that's what I do. And, uh, and, and so um, it, it, it's really a weird thing because the Chinese are very much like us, no matter what we like to say. I mean, they like to win. They sure. want to roll hard. They want to be number one. All the usual, you know, good jingoistic, you know, pound, pound, you know, the flag into the ground stuff, um, which can be really effective in a lot of linear things that you can take your power and throw it at it. But once again, soccer is not, you know, soccer's judo, right? I mean, with, you know, with a ball, you really can't just apply power and, and, and victory comes out the yeah, other end. Yeah. And, um, 
But one thing that's interesting about the Chinese is because they're obviously, you know, a you know, like the Death Star when it comes to how they organize everything. You know, their version of ESPN is, you know, state-owned, basically. And they can, you know, broadcast games to a zillion people and, you know, basically forcibly, you know, shift money around, right. you know, their league. So they, they, they kind of have this funky, fairly well-funded, um, you know, when it, but with a purpose, right? It isn't like you can just, it's, it's a slush fund. So I, I, from everything I can see, there's been kind of a directive to get better. Oh yeah, and you oh, yeah. know, and, and they have a rule around four. It's called four plus one. They can bring four international players and one from the AFC in. Right. And, and you know that that allows for sixty four international players um, in, the, in 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 the first division plus you know sixteen of the best AFC players, which a lot of them are in Australia and other places. So you know Japan, you know, K League, et cetera. So. I could see in the next five, eight years, their football getting actually a lot better. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it becomes good football, sure. because I think that's totally different, but I could see them becoming a lot better and a bigger magnet, um, which will be interesting for the for, for MLS, because in a weird way, MLS has always been kind of that other league that you can go to, get paid, mm -hmm. hang out somewhere cool. And, you know, I think China gives a version of that now that is a little more competitive and a hell of a lot more money, obviously. Yeah, yeah but, but and, I, and I just want to be sure that as soccer fans in this country, and look, there are people who are going to take, uh, you know, they're going to take the cudgel to MLS no matter what the situation is, no matter what kind of, um, uh, what kind of ammunition they have against the league. But, but we have to be careful not to compare the methods being used in China. Not careful. It's obvious. Don't use a method. You know, don't compare methods. Don't compare the, the plans Absolutely. that are, you've got the, the Chinese president actively pushing. I mean, and again, everything flows top down in China in a way that is impossible to replicate here in a much more free market environment. Yes, they have companies who are worth billions of dollars, but those companies benefit from government support and backing and, uh, you know, regulation that, that basically creates, I mean, it's very much like the oligarchs. There's all of these companies, when privatization happened, they all happen to be standing in the right place. Now they're That's using right. their money. Now, while the Russians decided to go spread themselves across the world and buy soccer clubs all over the place and, and basketball teams, the Chinese are, while also spreading themselves across the world, in fact, uh, the Chinese are mentioned in that story about David Beckham looking for partners, they're also putting their money where their mouth is at home. And, and again, it's not, you can't say, well, if we did this X, Y, or Z in the United States, we'd get that same kind of money. No, no, no. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't necessarily compare that, but what I, what I do believe is that MLS has had, a, especially for the last decade, really since Beckham came, this kind of um, window mm -hmm. that everyone, when, when everyone wants to leave kind of the main competitive forces of the big European leagues, instead of going to Russia or, you know, some Polish league or Greece like they used to, um, MLS is kind of the cool option. Right. Well, and I, what I would say is China now is on the menu. No sure. Absolutely. Um, that, that, that basically you can get paid. You could, you know, go to a pretty cool modern city. You can, well, you know, and, and obviously see yourself, you know, up in lights and get fans I, that are, you know, fairly MLS like attendance figures, you know, in, 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 in the distribution, they have their version of Portland and Seattle that load up pretty heavy. And sure. then they have their version of, you know, 
Chicago. But, but Aaron, but, Aaron, but Aaron, so, in, in terms of the, the quote-unquote competition for players, and as you said, the window that MLS has enjoyed since the Beckham rule was inaugurated, and, 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 and yeah, there occasionally, you know, uh, Xavi Hernandez will go to, to Qatar or, or UAE or whatever, and you'll be like, oh, that's a missed opportunity. And the, and the Chinese have definitely stepped up, and, and, I, and I would have argued that maybe a couple years ago when they signed Drogba, when they had Anelka, when they had a couple of other... Uh, European names that that there was sort of this direct comparison between the the, the MLS um, has-beens that they were signing and the Chinese has-beens, but China's money now and I don't know how long this lasts and this may be a this may be a supernova of spending, but this has put them on a different level. Nobody in MLS is spending Absolutely. is spending transfer money on Ezekiel Lavetsi or Alex Teixeira. So if they stay in that stratosphere they're not there there's no longer any competition with MLS now now china has moved beyond MLS but at the same time you know, and that's actually a fair point so that it really becomes how competitive do the internals of the chinese league become right. you know in essence how good does their football become right, right. You know, and whether as, or not this is space. again whether or not this is a supernova of spending that fades away and and eventually they're going to recede back to where they were or if this this establishes china as a major player in the transfer market year in and year out because if they are always there as a looming figure with this 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 checkbook then they are going to fundamentally change the market and they are going to have an impact on not mls but on the biggest leagues in europe and and that would be fascinating Absolutely. To me. and if you if you look at something that's that that's in the same vein because it's entertainment it's arts culture and i uh, my my niece is a, is, a, is a gallerist and you know um she obviously never had to go to china you know, to, to deal with the art world, but she has to go once a year and now she's going twice a year. And, you know, China is now not Europe, but it's, you know, right. half of Europe, let's right. call it, you know, right. it, it's now a force. And I would argue the next, let's say 24 months, you know, uh, we're going to know if, if China is going to be a similar um, kind of impact in, in football, like they are in art and lots of other kind of entertainment and culture. And in some ways it, it kind of makes sense, right? If you think about it in that, in that context of, 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 of entertainment and culture, uh, which football is, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's great, but that's kind of what it is. And, and I, I kind of see it's the logical next thing, mm-hmm. you know, for them to really take it seriously as they take everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. if they're collecting Van Gogh's, why can't they collect Ronaldo's? There you go. There you go. I mean, it's, it's, and, and what they've what they've proven, Aaron. I'm going to end our conversation on this point. What China is proving right now is that with enough money, you can close the prestige gap. The problem, well, I mean, you look they, as you said, four plus one. So it's not as though they're filling up teams with ten guys uh, that are worth fifty million uh, euros. But but four plus one, uh, with that one being the Asian Confederation player. They they are proving that you can close the, the 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 prestige gap. You can convince a player like Alex Teixeira to pass up Liverpool for China if the money's big enough. Um, MLS has always had a problem with the prestige gap and will continue to have a problem with the prestige gap. And I don't think they're anywhere close to closing it based on money. And and and, and one quick point, uh, you know, uh, before you close, is, is I, I think the real test now for MLS is they have to get serious about these academies. Yep. Because yeah. I do think part of the prestige gap, not part of it, I would say the dominant component of it isn't just pro-rel, but it's the lack of kind of professionalism that it looks like when you show up somewhere and you don't even see a 
a kid's academy and a bunch of, you know, like you just don't see what is normal everywhere else in the world. It's like you're going to the set of a movie being shot called, you know, <laughs> an MLS team. Sure. And I and, think that's probably and, and, true and if you're in China, professional, by the way. That just looks weird to you when your right. whole life from the time you were three years old was an academy culture. Well, I, and I think if the Chinese get serious about these academies, which, you know, if you look at every other sport, like 700 sports they've gotten serious about, I can't see they're not going to get serious about this either. Um, that changes everything. Because if they have that, you know, four plus one or six plus two, whatever, they'll change the rule to one day, when, you know, they feel like it. And then they put academies. I mean, then the Chinese are real at some sure, point. Sure. It might take well, five or ten years. But, 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 but we're know. seeing, and again, maybe their, their timeline is faster. Thanks for the call, Aaron. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Uh, maybe their timeline yep. is, is shorter because of the money that they're spending, but I still think that China's going to have to go through the same sort of steps that MLS did. So, and, and, and the Super League's not new, but, but certainly the money that they're spending is new. And if they are going to make a serious effort on the academy side of things, it's not going to be overnight that they become a league that's, that's producing locally bred talent that is then feeding into their senior teams and then going out into the transfer market. That's not going to happen right away. They, they are, they are in the, that first part of, Let's spend a bunch of money on players to improve our league. And then, then we're going to go in, or, or while we're at the same time starting up our academies. But the the focus is, or the, the the first blush is the the money being spent on established players. Then it becomes now let's focus on once we got some attention, once our our, our attendance is pretty high, once people are are, are recognizing our growth. Now we're going to go and try to develop our own players. And again. It's a matter of whether China knows how to do that. And they're going to bring in a lot of coaches from around the world. So, yeah, watch. I guess watch out for the Chinese if you want to say it that way. I don't think that MLS should be worried about China as a competitor of any type. But, again, MLS is not in, this, in, in a situation, in a position, to go spending 50 million euros on, uh, on Alex Teixeira or 30 million on Ezekiel Lovetsy or, or on any of these players. So this just reinforces the notion for MLS that they need to focus on their academies, which are more established than than certainly some of the things that the Chinese are doing, um, and and rely on what the, what talent they can they can create here in the United States. That's going to ultimately be the deciding factor of how good MLS is, not whether or not you can sign any player who's thirty years old from Europe or even even a twenty eight year old. Um, necessarily it's going to be the base level of the talent that you produce within the country i mean the 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 distance the time between mls where it's at now and being the premier league which is a league that's heavily dependent on foreign talent and is therefore one of the best leagues in the world because of it is so long that's almost not even worth considering how to get there find your navigate a path that that deals with what you can control right now at home all right, so uh, we talked a lot about futsal on uh, SiriusXM the other day, and I, br- I mentioned it briefly. Somebody called up and asked, I think, uh, not sure who it was. Somebody called up and asked Nelly from Texas, I think. Uh, we've got some more details on this, and I just want to flesh out this stuff. Um, so the, the league is being backed by Mark Cuban, uh, several other NBA owners. Uh, there's groups from I see the FC, FC Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, uh, Corinthians, Boca Juniors, several other uh, clubs are involved. Um, let's see. On Tuesday, the Dallas Morning News reported that cities would have professional fo- uh, futsal league teams, included Dallas, New York, which will have two teams, Los Angeles, Chicago, Seattle, Boston, and Miami. On Wednesday, a source told the news that San Francisco, Portland, Anaheim, Phoenix, and Orlando will also have teams. Nelson, this is Donnie Nelson 
uh, he's involved in the, in the Mavericks, uh, would not confirm those cities or divulge any others, but did say every PFL market has an NFL and or NBA team. So there you go. Uh, let's see. On Wednesday, the news learned that Portuguese power Benfica has been part of the discussions to be affiliated with the, t- uh, with the league. Uh, soccer clubs from around the world will be affiliated with each of the 12, uh, the 16, excuse me, PFL franchises, either through partnership or as outright owner. Soccer clubs from around the world. Is this, does this preclude any American soccer clubs from getting involved in this? Uh, are they, are they shutting out MLS teams, for example? I mean, I'm not saying that Phil Anschutz and AEG would absolutely be interested, but shouldn't they at least have the opportunity if they want it? I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, several of the West Coast teams, the source said, have received significant interest from investors in China and Japan, including a yet-to-be-publicly-named Chinese billionaire who will own the San Francisco franchise. China's president, and this comes back around to what we talked about with Aaron just now, Xi Jinping is a lifelong soccer fan who, since assuming office in November 2012, has bemoaned his country's lack of soccer stature globally. In recent months, China has devoted considerable planning and resources to improving its national soccer program and grassroots training. Uh, the increased emphasis and his expectations extend to futsal, which is the only indoor form of soccer that is, and Dallas Morning News, please correct this, not FIBA, FIFA approved, and is used by elite soccer programs around the world as a training ground for up-and-coming players. All right, so in addition to all of this, and the franchise fee is going to be $1.5 million, which tells you where the price point is and why it's attractive uh, to these uh, to these NBA owners. It doesn't cause, uh, it's, not, it's not costing them a lot of money to get off the ground here. Uh, they are going to change some rules from the standard FIFA-approved futsal rules uh, in order to appeal to American audiences. Where have you heard that before? Uh, futsal games around the world are generally played in two 20-minute halves, which soccer games, they have halves. PFL owners voted to become the first football league to use four 12-minute quarters because they're a bunch of basketball guys. Great. Futsal games played in halves generally take 90 to 100 minutes to play. American audiences, PFL owners determined, expect closer to two hours of entertainment. So they're going to extend the length of the game, make it more like a traditional soccer game in terms of length. Uh, we'll be the only league in the world with that four-quarter format, said Nelson. Again, that's part of the NBA injection here. Okay, that's not. I'm not sure that's a good thing necessarily, Donnie, but okay. They, soccer officials, are looking to us to provide guidance on the entertainment component on how to present the sport to the U.S. market. We're looking to them to use the most successful components of this high-octane sport. They voted to add TV timeouts, decreed that in cases of of tie games, the first overtime will be played four-on-four for five minutes. If the game is still tied after overtime, each team will select three players to participate in a shootout format. Each player would get a running start from midcourt and have five seconds in which to score the ball in motion. Hold on. I just, I need a moment. It's like 1983 all over again. All right. Look, it, I, I'm not a futsal fan. I, I'm just not attached to futsal in any particular way. But the more I hear about this league, I, I was willing to sort of accept this as part of the, the soccer scene in America for what that's worth. Um, you know, we have indoor soccer. I'm not really paying attention to that. Uh, we, we have some, some other sort of, you know, there's beach soccer. There's, there's futsal in this country. Maybe not on this level. It's not really part of my soccer experience. I'm an outdoor soccer guy. I'm not going to make apologies for that. It's just the, the, the version of the sport I like most. 
I was willing to sort of be on board with this because it includes Cuban, because it includes NBA owners, because it seems like it's a big deal. But more, the more I read about it, the more I just want to ignore it. The more I want to, uh, look, this is soccer morning. It's not futsal morning. We're not going to spend a lot of our time going over results from the National Futsal League, um, especially when they're going to be twisting the rules that have been uh, used around the world to, to quote-unquote appeal to American audiences. Now we're getting back into a part of our, our soccer past that I really don't want to relive. I, I don't know that I want to go through... Uh, I, I don't want to go through the process of having to watch this league be glitz and glamour and American-style entertainment, which I don't have a problem with glitz and glamour for the most part, as long as it doesn't impact what you're doing on the on the field of play, on the court of play in this case. And they're changing things directly related to the way the game is played because we've got to appeal to American audiences. Okay, fine. Let's see how it goes. I mean, I wish them the best of luck, I guess. I, again, especially if a professional futsal league somehow feeds into American uh, players gaining futsal experience that then benefits them on the outdoor game. I want to see Americans get better in the big game. I don't really care about futsal. So there you go. All right. Uh, 646-832-3909. Last call for phone calls. We've had Aaron today. Take whatever you've got. Um, I have not yet touched on. <laughs> I have not yet touched on the Columbus crew and their new uniforms. So the crew... I'm sorry, Crew SC has unveiled their new away kit, their new change kit, whatever you want to call it, because MLS stopped doing thirds. So this is not their third. This is their 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 change kit. Uh, it is called For Columbus, and it is uh, based on the Columbus flag. It is it is one of those situations. The the, the Rapids did this a couple years back with the Colorado flag. It's it's one of those things we're going to tie our look to our city's identity. Yeah. So you've got yellow, the traditional crew color, sort of a faded stripe situation from outside, from inside out, darker on the inside, and it fades as it goes out. Uh, you've got red piping. Uh, you got a lot of white here. Uh, you've got the You've got 17 stars in the neck tape to mirror the number of stars in the Columbus City Seal, symbolic of Ohio becoming the 17th state to enter the Union. Okay. You've got the the Columbus City flag-inspired color scheme, the yellow, the red, the blue. Uh, it's... And, and, and the shorts, man. I mean, the blue shorts, the, the, the baby blue shorts, whatever we're calling those, is... I don't know, man. Look, it's it, it's interesting. Okay, maybe if the shirt was yellow and not faded out the way it is, because I think somebody's already called it a mustard stain. Uh, <laughs> if it was yellow across the, I might be on board with this. If it was a solid yellow shirt, you could still include the red piping to to uh, convey the colors of the Columbus City flag. But come on, man. I don't know. I'm not one to really get that upset about kids, so I'm going to let it go. But Columbus, you're weird. James in uh, New Jersey, what's going on, my friend? Hi, good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I uh, just wanted to uh, ask you some thoughts on what you think of the new front office of the Philadelphia Union. Uh, okay. And, uh, okay. 
And I mean, what what about the idea of uh, a DP striker? You think they really need it with all the new uh, people coming into camp? I think they year? I think they do need a, a DP striker. I mean, right now, uh, from what I hear, it's it's all going to be on the shoulders of CJ Sapong and and Herbers, who's a kid out of college. Uh, I know he's a. I mean, I know he's German. I know he's got you know a bit of a pedigree from growing up in in, in Germany as a player, but. We're not talking about a guy who is ready, you know, ready off the bat for the professional game. I, I think that, now look, whether it needs to be a DP, I guess is debatable, but if you're the union and you've dealt with issues of coming off as, as, as cheap for, for many years now, if you're trying to get out from underneath the cloud that was the Nick Sikavich era, if you're trying to convince your fans that you are ready to make a real run at this, that you want to be an Eastern Conference power, I think I think spending a little bit of money on a on a striker would be a good idea, and it doesn't. I don't mean like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or somebody like that. I mean you can you can go into the middle market and find somebody who could score some goals for you. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I was just uh, thinking maybe take some time and see how this uh, develops, and maybe okay. the I mean, look, July window would be a good time to uh, the, the, reach out and get something if they haven't if they haven't found somebody. Like, I hope that they don't force the issue. I mean, like, let's find the right guy. Okay. I mean, I, I, you want, you definitely want somebody who's committed. And again, losing Eris to Guetta is a, is a big problem for them because, you know, he was he you he knew the system or he knew the the team. Maybe not the system, depending on how things change for them. But I just I just think that I I, I mean I, again I'm looking at their okay I'm looking at their group right now Anderson Kunsi Kunsi Kao. Klesikow, I'm not sure where uh, where he's from and when he was uh, obtained. He's a new guy, I guess. He's Brazilian. He's six two. He's 26 years old. Okay, we'll we'll see. Uh, loaned from uh, Tombents FC in Brazil's Serie C. I'm not going to put a lot on his shoulders if he's from Serie C. Uh, Fabian Herbers, the the kid I mentioned, 22 years old, out of the draft. Latu, who's uh, a you know a, a lovely guy and runs around a lot and will get you. Eight to ten goals, but he can't be your lead goal scorer. Chris Pontius, who's not even not really a forward, but maybe pushed up in a four three three, a good player, had some rough years in DC. Not going to count on him that much. I mean, he he needs to be good for them to be good, but I'm not sure you can guarantee a whole lot from him. Walter Restrepo, who moves up from from um, from NASL, I, I think he's an interesting player um, that that maybe. That, that, that maybe should bring something to the table. Uh, I don't know where his best position is. I didn't watch too much of the Cosmos last year, unfortunately. And then CJ Sapong, who I like, but is always going to be just a step above the average MLS striker at this point. How about the, uh, this Allberg uh, player? Well, Are you familiar with him? What are your thoughts on, I'm on not, him? I'm not familiar with him. Okay. He's a, he's a, I, I thought he was a midfielder, right? To me, obviously, being yeah. being Dutch, he strikes me as the first legitimate Ernie Stewart signing that you guys have had. Now, I don't think that Ernie's going to go crazy and sign up a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of, um, of Dutch players or anything like that. But I think that he'll pick he'll pick his spots. He's he's got a network here um, of players across the, uh, the the connections across the world. I, I think that that I think that that's a good sign uh, that. That Ernie's getting involved at this point. I mean, he needs to be, obviously, but I think that there is a clear idea, or there will be a clear idea of who the union are going to be under Ernie Stewart, and hopefully Jim Curtin works well with him, and 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 you guys are heading in the direction. I, I would be very positive about the year, even if you might have some problems scoring goals um, from your forwards right now. 
you know, I, I, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. Um, just really positive and upbeat about the team. I think, uh, you know, I think Curtin mentioned the clarity, uh, yesterday during a press conference via the telephone, uh, conference. And, uh, I, I love it. And that's how I'm, that's how I'm seeing. I'm seeing like there's an actual, um, clarity around the club, uh, a plan, you know, we're, we're getting people and, uh, and with the right reasons behind it, like the, the goalkeeper uh, acquisition, you know, they're bringing them in because they see the need for a steady backup uh, mm-hmm. to take over for Andre Blake while he's on international duty. Right, right. Uh, you know, and, and so so that's a good picking. You know, you, I, I mentioned goalkeeper because, you know, everyone's making fun of the union about, you know, all the goalkeeper acquisition, or acquisitions, excuse me. Um but now you, this this one's different because you can see it was brought in for the right reason. There you and, go. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a positive sign, and, and I'm really really excited about that. Yeah, it doesn't seem as though they're throwing stuff. You know, slap dash. You know, why are they signing that guy? What what's the point of him? Where where does he come from? That seemed to be the the theme under Sakavich, right? And and certainly with some of the allegations that were uh, that were dogging um, Peter Novak during his era, not just how he treated players, but certainly some of the. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. Signings that were happening with the union, and, and maybe some, some. I mean, I'm not going to throw any allegations out there, but this stuff, you, union fans know about this stuff, uh, and, and and certainly soccer can lend itself to a little bit of, um, a, a little bit of kickback money coming just to, for signing a guy, and it doesn't always lend to the best team situation. So hopefully that stuff is is in the past, and the union move forward again with a clear direction from Ernie Stewart, James. Absolutely, I, you know. I mean, it's all that other stuff that you were mentioning. It hopefully is behind our, and I really believe it is in the rearview mirror. And I'm just hoping my fellow union fans uh, see the promise and uh, you know the hope that is finally surrounding the union. You know, it, it's really I'm, I'm back to 2010, 2011 uh, hope and, and positive vibes around the club, which is really exciting for, for this upcoming season. I can't wait. Okay, there you go. James, appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, there goes James in Jersey. Let's uh, let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning here on Backhill.com. Good Thursday show. Thank you very much to Jonathan Johnson uh, for his contributions to the program today. Please go follow him on Twitter at J-O-N underscore L E gossip. G-O-S-S-I-P. Very easy a uh, fantastic writer on French football. Lots of interesting stories coming out of France these days. Uh, you might as well get involved. You don't have to watch every game, but hell, you know, if you find out about a player being left on the side of the road, you want to know about it, you go to John uh, Jonathan Johnson's Twitter feed. There it is. All right. We are we are done. Uh, let me wrap this up. Let me just go ahead and hit the uh, the old music there. Thank you very much to producer Trevor, uh, to our callers, James and Aaron, both from Jersey. Jersey represent... We'll be back tomorrow with a Friday edition of the program. See you then. Bye.